This morning we read from Isaiah 33, 1-6. Ah, you destroyer. You yourself have not been destroyed. You traitor whom none has betrayed. When you have ceased to destroy, you will be destroyed. And when you have finished betraying, they will betray you. O Lord, be gracious to us. We wait for you. Be our arm every morning, our salvation in the time of trouble. At the tumultuous noise, peoples flee. When you lift yourself up, nations are scattered, and your spoil is gathered as the caterpillar gathers. As locusts leap, it is leapt upon. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness, and he will be the stability of your times. Abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. Good morning. I was talking with a friend not too long ago, and he was telling me about some new struggles in his life. Things seemed to be piling up on him. It seemed like one difficulty after another in different areas of his life, from finances to some relationship struggles, some health issues. And his response was this, I guess God doesn't want me to be happy. I think many of us, if we could really be honest about what's in our hearts, feel similarly, at least at times. Even if our life is going reasonably well, we still feel like we're missing out somehow on God's best for us. We read passages like John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and destroy but I have come that they might have life abundantly. That Jesus wants us to have abundant life, that he came that we might have the fullness of life. But sometimes we wonder, where is that for me? (laughs) How do we get it? Deep down, many of us feel like, well, we've tried. We've kind of gone through the Christian life and we've prayed and done the things we felt like God wanted us to do, and yet... Where is that abundance? God doesn't seem to have given it. And maybe he's just not pleased with me. We might believe in the abundant life, but we really think it's probably for others. (laughs) You know, the real spiritual people, pastors, global workers, those kind of people. But it's not really for me. I think that's the way Judah was feeling in our passage today. Life wasn't going great. They were wanting God's abundant life. They were crying out for it, but they just didn't know how to get it. So Isaiah shares with them the path to the abundant life. And once we see it laid out, I think we'll be much more likely to find it ourselves. (laughs) And I do want to say very clearly as we begin this morning, When Jesus says that they might have life and have it abundantly, he means that for every one of us, for you too. If only we learn to stay on the path. So let's pray and we'll look at that path together. Lord, thank you for your grace towards us. 
Thank you for giving us this passage where we can understand more fully what the abundant life really looks like and how to receive it. We confess, Lord, that at times we really doubt whether it's for us. So may you, by your Spirit, open up our hearts to that life you so want us to have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me lay out the context, historical context of this passage, as far as most commentators think. From what we can see, it was this point in Judah's life where the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom had already been wiped out. The southern kingdom is being besieged by Assyria. And that southern kingdom of Judah had done their best to try to fend off this enemy. They'd made an alliance with Egypt. And so Assyria went and attacked Egypt and destroyed them. <laughs> so they thought, okay, well, we'll take what we have in the temple, the gold and silver, and we'll, we'll give that to Assyria. Maybe that will appease them and they'll leave us alone. So they gave the gold. And the Assyrians said, thanks, but we're still going to kill you. <laughs> it didn't work. They'd come to the end of their rope. They were at the very place where they were had been betrayed by Assyria. And so verse 1 speaks to us, Assyria, and says, Woe to you, O destroyer, while you were not destroyed, and he was treacherous, while others did not deal treacherously with him. As soon as you finish destroying, you will be destroyed. As soon as you cease to deal treacherously, others will deal treacherously with you. In the midst of Judah's horrible situation, God gives this promise and so the first step, really, I think, to experiencing the abundant life, the path on the abundant life is to hear God's promises. That's where this passage begins, is God giving his ultimate promises to Judah. Assyria, who had betrayed them, would be betrayed, would be destroyed. And we'll see in the next few weeks how God actually did that as we go on in Isaiah. But I think the point for us is that the path to the abundant life, if you really want to experience all God's best, his fullness for us, what he has for us in this life, it begins by listening to God's promises. You see, we need to hear and understand what God really promises for us. Because otherwise, we'll have expectations of what we think the abundant life is and what we think God should provide. And when he doesn't, we get frustrated. It's like your birthday. You're, you're so excited. You can't wait because what you are sure you're going to get is some new underwear. And you are just waiting for that underwear. And you open the package. And it's a new iPad. And you're so disappointed because you really wanted that underwear. So I think there's things that we think are the abundant life. And Lord, if you would just give these to me, my life would go well. And God's saying, I have something far better for you. My promises are for something even better. The abundant life is far better than what you're asking for. How are we going to know what those things are unless we hear God's promises? We need to know what they are. And how do we do that? Well, you know, it's the old truth. You got to be reading the word. How are you going to know God's heart for you unless you're reading the Word. It's good to hear it taught Sundays, Bible study, etc. But you got to be in it yourself so you can hear directly from God 
and understand his heart for you and his promises for you. So how will you know that? You got to be reading the word. That's step one. Step one, hear his promises. Step two, on the path to the abundant life, if you want to get there, is to pray. That's what Judah does now. Listen to verse two through four. It's a prayer. And listen to what they pray for. Oh, Lord, be gracious to us. We've waited for you. Be our strength every morning, our salvation in the time of distress. Save us. At the sound of the tumult, peoples flee. At the lifting up of yourself, nations disperse. Your spoil is gathered as the caterpillar gathers, as locusts rush about. Men rush about upon it. What's he saying? What are they praying for? Well, they're praying for God to fix their situation, right? <laughs> Lord, save us. And you have the ability. You can do it. You see, if we want God's abundant life, we have to seek him in prayer. We have to keep after him so that we can hear from him and have him change our hearts and have this relationship with him where he can begin to bless us with his life. We've got to spend time with him sharing our hearts. Now you say, well, I don't know what to pray. Well, just pray. Just share your desires, your fears. Be in relationship with him. I see many of us can spend a lot of time keeping contact with other people on our cell phones, through texting, through Twitter, through Instagram, through whatever it might be, email. But we can't take time to pray to God. I think we can. I think we can. Notice what Judah's praying here. They are praying, Lord, save us. Get rid of the Assyrians. Fix this mess. You're powerful enough to handle it, so fix my circumstances. Notice that they're focused on the problem. Is that a bad prayer? No, it's where they are. They're sharing their hearts. Um, we're like them, like Judah, who is... When we're struggling, we focus on the problem and we just think the abundant life would be if God would just take away this problem. And so we pray for that. We just think, God, if you just take away this problem, if you just give me a spouse to love, if if you would fix this relationship, I would have the abundant life. If you would give me a different job or at least get rid of my boss and give me a different boss. <laughs> if you just fix my health issues. If you take my aging parent home to be with you because the suffering goes on and on. So we pray for those things, but God knows better. He loves us too much because he knows that if he just took away the difficulties in our lives, we wouldn't stay on the path to the abundant life. We would think, wow, this is a great shady spot. My life's going well. I don't even need to keep going down the path. I will just hang out here. And God knows that we would never reach the kind of abundant life he wants us to. So he doesn't take away those things. But we are to pray for them. We are to pray for what's on our hearts. Even though our attitude and focus may not be right, we must seek God in prayer because that's how God works is through that relationship we have to maintain with him. I, I know many of us have a struggle praying to God. And I think, at least for some of us, 
the reason is, bottom line, is that our attitude is we've tried praying. We've tried asking God to fix our situation or to intervene somehow. And he didn't seem to do anything. So prayer doesn't work. And many of us have withdrawn from God because of that. And let me just exhort you as your brother in Christ to not give up. To go back to God and keep praying, keep sharing your heart, keep sharing your desires, because it's in that relationship that God can begin to speak to your heart in a deeper way and begin to give you the abundant life he longs to give you. Please don't quit praying. Step one, again, is to hear God's promises. Step two is to pray. And step three is to exercise faith. Verse 5 and 6 is a wonderful declaration of God's greatness. Listen to it again. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness, and he will be the stability of our times, a wealth of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. It's a wonderful declaration of faith in God and how great he is. He will be all we need. Now, does Judah really believe that? I don't think they're really there. I think they've been pursuing other things, other idols. But they are exercising faith. This is what David said about you. This is what the scriptures say about you. This is the truth that I've heard. And even though I have a hard time feeling it and believing it, I will declare it so that I can exercise my faith. If you have an atrophied muscle, the only way to build it up and make it strong is to use it, right? You've got to exercise it. Go through physical therapy or whatever it takes. It's the same with faith. Faith is an atrophied muscle for many of us, and we have to claim the truth, declare it, exercise that faith, even though... Our attitude may be, Lord, I don't feel like this is true, but I'm going to declare it to be true by faith. You are exalted. You are Lord. You are enough for me. You are my treasure. You are my abundance. That's exercising your faith so it can grow. This is important because it takes steps one and two in claiming them as true. It's important that you do that on your own, in your own heart, in your own life, in your own time with God to declare truth that'll exercise your faith. But let me say it's also very important that we do this together corporately like we're doing this morning, where we declare through the songs we sing and the words we say who God is and our commitment to him and our surrender to him, because that exercises our faith and encourages, we encourage one another as we speak truth to one another. And I so appreciate the way Adrienne works really hard to make sure the words we say are truth. Because so many of the songs out there that we could sing really aren't that true. <laughs> but she makes sure they're filled with truth, with theology that will inspire and exercise our faith. So step three, exercise your faith. Speak truth about God. So, <clears throat> Judah has prayed. They've exercised faith. And how does God respond to that? 
Well, I think not like we'd expect. We expect God to say, Wow, you're really trying hard. Good for you. I'm going to make your life so much easier. And we get frustrated when we do our part and he doesn't seem to come through. But notice that God loves us too much to just make our circumstances better because he really wants us to experience that abundant life that Jesus was talking about. So notice how God responds in verse 10. He speaks in response to Judah. And notice what he says, verse 10. Now I will arise, says the Lord. Now I will be exalted. Now I will be lifted up. You have conceived chaff. You will give birth to stubble. My breath will consume you like a fire. The peoples will be burned to lime like cut thorns which are burned in the fire. You who are far away, hear what I have done. And, what you, and you who are near, acknowledge my might. And here's the response of the people. Verse 14. Sinners in Zion are terrified. <laughs> Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can live with the consuming fire? Who among us can live with continual burning? Wow. Sounds a little harsh. <laughs> so why does God respond this way? Why is for this step, step four, to hang in there, to go through the fire? That's step four. Go through the fire. Why is that the fourth step? Well, because God knows that we'll never experience the abundant life as long as we have all these things we trust in other than Him. He knows we have all our idols on our mantle, like the ancients who would bow down and burn incense and worship their idols in their homes. We may not have actual idols on our mantle, but we have all these things, these idols, that we need to get rid of if we are to experience the fullness of the abundant life. Or to put it another way, we have the, all these ropes that have bound us to the things that we've worshipped and trusted in other than God. And we can't untie the ropes. What are those things? Things like just self. I want to be in control of my own life. Money, that's my security, God, and I don't know if I can trust you. We trust in other people. We trust in control. We trust in having power over others. We trust in having comfort in life. We trust some of us in sex. That's our God. But what we begin to see as we see God's response here is that God knows that we are addicted. That's a good way to put it, I think. Every one of us is addicted to things other than God that tie us and hold us and we trust in them rather than him. So he says, I love you enough to be a consuming fire in your life, to burn away those ropes that hold you to your idols, that are keeping you from the abundant life. Because all you're really producing through that is chaff and straw, he says. So what is this consuming fire? It might be poor health. We have people in our body who are struggling with chronic illness, of various kinds, Parkinson's, MS, chronic arthritis, maybe some kind of injury from an accident. might be a difficult relationship you can't fix. It might be a child that you grieve over 
what direction they're going, and you pray and pray. Maybe that's the fire. It might be financial difficulties you can't fix. It might be the loneliness for a single or widowed person in the fires, the deep pain in your heart of wanting to share your life with someone else. Maybe the fire is the sin that you just can't seem to conquer. Note that, like Judah, we want God to fix our circumstances, and he says, I will use your circumstances to take you further down the path of abundant life. So what's our part, then, if that's the case with step four? It's to go through the fire. But go through the fire in a way in which we keep praying Keep trusting him. Keep clinging to him. Keep seeing his promises. Because again, I've seen too many of my brothers and sisters in Christ who go through the fire or face the fire, and when life gets hard, they step off the path of abundant life in anger and frustration with God, grumbling towards God. I don't know if you've read the little classic um, Hind's Feet on High Places. It's a wonderful little book. And the main character, Little Miss Much Afraid, <clears throat> is making her way up the mountain towards the abundant life and the shepherds walking with her. But she gets to a place where the path turns and the path goes down away from her goal and down into this rocky, difficult, scary canyon. And she doesn't understand Shepherd, why are you taking me here? And the shepherd's response is essentially, because I love you. (laughs) And this is the only way you can get up the mountain. This is the only way you can get to the abundant life. And he says the same thing to us. When we begin to see that the fire is actually a gift of God's love to set us free, then we don't have to be afraid of the fire. Yes, it's hard, but we can trust God and continue to go through it and keep praying and keep trusting and keep exercising our faith and get to a place like Paul describes in Romans chapter 5, other places in the New Testament, but Romans chapter 5, verse 3, where it says, and not only this, but we also rejoice in our tribulations. Wait a minute, Paul. Rejoice in our tribulations? Yeah, when you understand how good it is for us. Because he says, we rejoice in our tribulations knowing the tribulation, the fire, brings about perseverance and the ability to hang in there. And perseverance brings about proven character and proven character brings about hope. And hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who loves us. You see... As we continue to go through the fire, we begin to see God work in powerful ways and, and we begin to actually rejoice in it because we see that it is getting us to that place of being able to experience the abundant life. So step four, go through the fire. Step five, understand and experience the abundant life. You see, what does the abundant life really consist of? What, what is it? We need to know so we'll see it when it comes. I think this passage gives us at least three ingredients of what the abundant life 
is like. There, there could be a lot more said about it, but he says three things in this passage that I think are really important. What the abundant life consists of. Number one, the abundant life consists of a changed life. Verse 15. He who walks righteously and speaks with sincerity, he who rejects unjust gain and shakes his hands so that he holds no bribe, he who stops his ears from hearing about bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking upon evil, he will dwell on the heights. His refuge will be the impregnable rock. His bread will be given him. His water will be sure. I think what he's saying here is that we experience the abundant life when we see God changing us into Christ's likeness. Why? Because we will be better. We will be becoming the people God designed us to be in the first place. I was talking to a, a friend recently, and he was saying, you know, I've, I've tried a lot of different jobs. I've done different things. I've tried uh, computer work. I've tried a number of things. But he said, I, I got laid off. I was trying to figure out what to do. And I got a job working with hospice, with people who are dying, caretaking. And he said, I found what I was made for. <laughs> I love this. This is who I am. You see, there's something wonderful when you begin to be who you are, who you were created to be. And as you begin to go through the fire, you hang in there and you see God beginning to change you and you're able to walk closer to him and you're seeing your life changing, becoming more like Christ. There's incredible joy. That is a deep sense of the abundant life where you begin to feel like I'm being what I was created to be, a person who can love others well. So those changes, understand, that's a big part of the abundant life. That is the abundant life. So a changed life. Secondly, opened eyes. A big part of the abundant life is opened eyes. As I read verse 17 and following, listen to how many words have to do with seeing, looking, your eyes will see the king in his beauty. They will behold a far distant land. Your heart will meditate on terror. <clears throat> Where is he who counts? Where is he who weighs? Where is he who counts the towers? You will no longer see a fierce people, a people of in unintelligible speech, which no one comprehends, of a stammering tongue, which no one understands. Look upon Zion, the city of our appointed feast. Your eyes will see Jerusalem an undisturbed habitation, a tent which will not be folded. Its stakes will never be pulled up, nor any of its cords be torn apart. But there, the majestic one, the Lord, will be for us a place of rivers and wide canals on which no boat with oars will go and on which no mighty ship will pass. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Is he part of the abundant life is beginning to see reality differently. Beginning to see life with Jesus in the foreground. And then your circumstances really begin to fade away and don't matter so much anymore. I like the way he puts it here in verse 18. Your heart will meditate. Where is he who counts? Where is he who weighs? It's talking about Assyria, who is still there building his siege works. 
But because he's seeing the Lord majestic, exalted on high, and he's beginning to see the reality of God on his throne, and his eyes are open to the spiritual reality, Assyria really doesn't matter that much anymore. When your eyes are open that way, all of a sudden the circumstances you've been so worried about may still be there, but they don't matter so much anymore because it fades into the background in light of who Jesus is. I don't know if you saw a little news clip this last week, but there was a boy who was colorblind. And so main colors, red and green, are, are, are completely gray to him. They, he tried to describe it, and it was just gray. But they'd made these new glasses, these technological glasses, and he put on these glasses, and he could see color. And he was amazed at how beautiful and how incredible the world is. He was seeing it completely differently. You see, that's what the abundant life consists of. When we begin to see the reality of God on his throne, Jesus is there. He's working out his will. And you begin to settle in with that reality and enjoy the abundance of that, regardless of what's going on in your circumstances. Opened eyes changes everything. And then third and finally, part of the abundant life is a satisfied heart. Verse 23 and 24, the end of the chapter. Your tackle hangs slack. It cannot hold the base of its mass firmly nor spread out the sail. Interesting, he's describing there a ship dead in the water. They can't say, I'll get back to that in a moment. Then the prey of an abundant spoil will be divided. The lame will take the plunder. And no resident will say, I'm sick. <laughs> the people who dwell there will be forgiven their iniquity. What's he describing here? I think what he's saying is this. When Judah finally gets to the point of realizing, you know what? I'm like a boat dead in the water. I'm lame. <laughs> I can't fix my life. I've tried. I put my trust in other things, in Egypt and Assyria, and I've tried to do all these things to make life work, and it won't work. And yet, yet, God's blessed me in all kinds of ways, and I'm dividing the spoil, and I'm learning to be healed in my heart with him, so I no longer have to say, I'm sick. And I've experienced the greatest gift of all, which is forgiveness. You see, when you've realized how great God's grace is towards you when you don't deserve it, and you're experiencing that forgiveness and that freedom and that grace of His life in you and the access to His presence every moment and the glory of what He's done for you on the cross, then you experience the abundant life, a satisfied heart. That is the abundant life. I like to go backpacking every summer, and my friend Martin and I were, were going backpacking in the Seven Devils, and he said, hey, I have a great lake for us to go to. It's not going to be easy, but, but I want to take you there. And I said, okay, great. And we started from place, and we went downhill, but I knew it was way up. <laughs> we started down, and then we went way around, miles and miles, hiking with our packs on, our kids with us. Then he said, okay, now we go up this trail, but the trail's not going to last very long. 
the trail ended, and then we're scrambling almost vertically up rocks, scrambling with our packs and trying to help the kids up and carrying their packs up and then carrying them up and, you know, scrambling to get it to, the, to this place, to where we finally reached the lake. It was a hard, arduous climb, but it was worth it. You see, the surprising path to the abundant life is not what we expect. It's not easy. But let me say to you and and to me, let's stay on the path. Let's stay on that path to abundant life because he wants to bless us in a way that will set us free from all the things that we tend to trust in instead of him. So let's keep hearing his promises. Keep reading his word. Let's keep praying even when we don't understand what he's doing. Let's keep exercising our faith and declaring what's true individually and corporately as we gather. And let's keep going through the fire, looking for the experience of the fullness of the abundant life, even if God never changes our circumstances. Let's rejoice and learn to find life in him in a changed life, in opened eyes, and in a satisfied heart. That's truly the abundant life. Well, we're going to take communion together to celebrate what Jesus did on the cross to set us free, to give us that kind of grace and forgiveness, to offer us the abundant life of his presence in us. So let's pray and then we'll take communion together. Heavenly Father, thank you for passages like this that reveal our own hearts and how easily we look elsewhere and we wander off the path looking for other ways to life. But thank you for the truths that are here. We can understand the path to abundant life. And Lord, may we begin to experience it more fully as we continue to cling to you in the midst of the fire, trusting that you are doing good for us and in us so that we might have life. As we approach this table together, the Lord's Supper, we thank you. We confess, Lord, that we don't deserve to be at this table because of our lack of trust in you but we gratefully receive the gift of forgiveness and the grace. Yes, we are dead in the water, but you've given us life. And so we celebrate that together today as your people, as your family. In Jesus' name, amen.